Welcome to Booked, where two guys tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Livia Snedden. And I'm Rob Olson. The book that we're going to be talking about tonight is The Maiden Poodle. And the reason I pause is because, like, I feel like it needs a little bit of, like, fanfare or at least to talk about a little bit because it's a it's a fairy tale. And we haven't done a fairy tale before. When we started this podcast over six years ago, uh, if you said, hey, one day you're going to do uh, <laughs> either a uh, uh, an erotica book about somebody's stepdad <laughs> or a fairy tale book about cats and dogs. Um, I, I, I mean, I, I think we know we did them in, in the order that I would have predicted we did them in. You would never have guessed both. <laughs> No, no, I wouldn't have. Uh, um, that being said, there, and I, I say this very seriously, I was thinking about this. There's probably three, maybe four authors um, that, that could cause me to read something that's this far out of my wheelhouse. So although I have owned pets from time to time, um, I don't know if you know this about me, Rob, I'm, I'm allergic to cats and, and most dogs, all cats, most dogs, horses, hamsters, ferrets rabbits i'm not i'm not really an animal guy yeah um i i know that you've said your allergies on the podcast before i just i'm very amused every time you list them off (laughs) these are the ones i've tested like i know these for a fact like you could be allergic to falcons you just never yeah i don't i don't know that i have no reason to think i'm allergic to birds but yeah right okay like yeah. wombats. I'm probably allergic to wombats. Probably. Probably allergic to a wombat. Maybe. Uh, what about reptiles? Not allergic to reptiles. That's nice. So you were uh-huh. one of those guys in the 80s who had like a pet snake and a mm-hmm. fucking Camaro? In, no, I never owned a snake. Well, one day we'll talk about the lizards I have owned, though. And it wasn't <laughs> in the 90s. It was in the 2000s. But I have owned numerous lizards. Oh, that being said, yeah, bearded, bearded dragon is my next guess. But anyway, I, I had a yes. Oh, <laughs> all right. Do you want to keep going? Do you want to? Oh, we, we have this? to. Yeah, we have to talk okay. about Livia's so, reptile menagerie. Um, I've had uh, chameleons, which I was very, very fond of, and uh, and a bearded dragon. I actually had two bearded dragons. One of them didn't live um, past its, you know, like juvenile stage. But the other one was like a full grown adult male bearded dragon that I had for years. His name was Alice. After Alice Cooper? After Alice Cooper. Oh, wow. Is, yeah. yeah. I, I, just, I didn't want to get into all of this, yeah. but there is a very limited representation of lizards in this in this novella. That's a novella, right? At 90 yeah. pages? Yeah. It's okay in this novella that we're reviewing. Anyway, to bring it back <laughs> on track a little bit. I mean, there was, and, and I'm going to call this, I don't know that it's necessarily young adult. It's young adult friendly. Um, but this could fall in the young adult category, right? Yes. Um, this, um, and we're getting kind of ahead of ourselves. We haven't read the synopsis or anything yet. But um, yes, I was keeping a keen eye out for like what type of demographic this would be good for. And I would agree with you, young adult. Now, Paul Tremblay, who's a, a good friend of the show, and Stephen Graham Jones, the same. Both of them brilliant writers, right? They wrote a young adult story, and we didn't even give it a second thought. Yeah, Floating Boy and the girl who couldn't fly or whatever it was called yeah right so that's what i'm trying to say that it, there's very few people that could have done at any rate sg yeah. brown who i have had a uh, a love affair with his work um from way back from breathers uh 
I saw this was coming out, reached out to, to Scott, said, hey, you know, we'd like to, to look at this. We'd like to read it, review it. We'd like to have you on. And he said yes to all of these things. So the first part of tonight's episode is going to be a pretty quick review. It's only a 90-page uh, story, so we're not going to spend too much time on it. Um, and then we're going to talk to Scott Brown again. It feels like we just talked to him. Do we just talk to him? Uh, I don't think his because he had those um, singles that came out. That was probably mm-hmm. within the last six months. Yeah, I'm guessing. So, so um, we may as well dispense with the uh, formalities. SG Brown for anybody who hasn't been listening to this podcast for the last like 250 episodes uh, is the author of Lesson Hero, which we reviewed, Big Egos, which we reviewed, Lucky Bastard, which we reviewed, <laughs> Faded and Breathers, which Livius has read. <laughs> Um, as well as the ebook story collection Shooting Monkeys in a Barrel, which Livius has also read, and the heartwarming holiday novella I Saw Zombies Eating Santa Claus, which we reviewed. The singles aren't listed, but we did we, we did read those and review them too. Anyway, we love SG Brown uh, here at Booked. So uh, if you have not, if you don't already love SG Brown, um, figure out if pet fairy tales are for you. Um, and if not, I can highly recommend everything else that Rob mentioned. So here is the synopsis. King Griffin the Great has stolen the throne of Felinia and forced the peasant dogs to work for dirty water and stale dog biscuits. When a call goes out for a revolution, dozens of canines are arrested for treason and thrown into the castle dungeon, including Camille, a black standard poodle with mystical powers. A band of rebel canines gathers to plot the rescue of their comrades and of the maiden poodle, who they believe is their only hope to deliver Felinia from King Griffin's claws. Comprised of a worrisome beagle, a sassy Scottish terrier, a gruff St. Bernard, and a well-groomed golden retriever, an obedient greyhound, and a clever border collie, the band of rebels is all that remains of the revolution. In order to pull off their rescue, they'll need the help of a mind-reading miniature poodle, a wily tabby named Waldo, a local toy maker, and some good old-fashioned magic. But time is short. In the depths of the dungeon, the maiden poodle grows weak and the darkness grows stronger. As one of the guardians of the light, her existence helps to ensure a balance between the light and the dark. If she's not rescued in time, the darkness will start to spread across the world. You ready to wrap this up? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that, that that does cover it that does cover it. yeah so that is a um, uh, a really well a pretty good representation of the story in a synopsis right there and pretty long considering how how long the story is yeah absolutely i think the last uh, the last book we we reviewed we took some issue with the uh, with the synopsis being perhaps a little misleading no this is spot on that's exactly the um plot line of the story um, that being said, there's still some stuff worth talking about, like some of these characters. Yeah, and I'm gonna be uh, I'm gonna be pretty upfront about this. Uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of characters in this book, and so um, the, it's one of those things where because of the size of the story, I don't know if I had a really good portrait in my mind of every single character, but I definitely did for the more important ones. Um, so, Livius, why don't you uh, just dive us in? At 90 pages, we're probably not going to do a lot about plot, but here's, uh, not to rehash the synopsis, um, we have dogs. The dogs need to rescue their their dog friend Camille, who uh, is the hope to save their land um, from King Griffin. But there are uh, cats in the castle who um, believe King Griffin 
got his throne through uh, untoward measures. Russian hacking, basically, is what it comes down to. Right? He really was Russians. Russian hacking. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> there was Russian hacking involved. Um, so they, they want, and he's a tyrant, so they want to uh, get the throne back to Prince Atticus, who is King Griffin's uncle. And the two main uh, main cats that are going to be important in this are Princess Eponine, um, who is the king's sister, and Waldo, who's really kind of head of the guard. I got the impression, I don't know if I ever said it, but he is definitely one of the top um, military cats, I guess, however you would say that for a king, right? Yeah, like, um, before I make this analogy, I want to make sure you've seen this movie because it's never a given. Uh, have you seen um, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves? Yes. So, like, um, he he's like the sheriff of Nottingham's cousin, kind of. That's how I mm-hmm. saw him. He's just kind of like, not, he's not in charge, but he's generally like the, the go-to guy for shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's how I saw him. So, yeah, I, I agree with you. Right, so they they're trying to figure out how to do this. Um, they they luck into um, a situation. How do I say this? Uh, completely aside from what they're doing, there is, uh, as mentioned in the synopsis, a mind reading dog who actually approaches Prince Atticus for his help. So we now have the would be king um, teaming up with the dogs and hopefully with some cats on the inside to perform a wacky rescue. Yeah. So I think, and and you'll have to forgive me for kind of breaking this up into story mechanics. I feel like, um, there were certain parts of the book that were just like, this is a short story. So certain things just have to fall in place for this to move along. Or alternately, we don't read the greater story behind these things. Um, because they just have to move along. So, um, yeah, there's basically, there's the rebels, and then there's like this other sympathetic group, and then there's you know other you know so they so they get help along the way from some from various um, cats and dogs, which is kind of I've never I don't remember if we've ever talked about animal protagonists before, so this is a little bit weird for me. Um, and I, the the easy part is is the king because the king side of it is he's just evil. Um, he set up his uh, Prince Atticus uncle to be banished to. Oh, what was the name of the place he got banished to? Because that's that was one of the more interesting things. The Valley of Despair. The Valley of Despair, which I'm not going to talk about the reveal of the Valley of Despair, but I think that that was very very well done. Um, that was one of the things where, like, I mean, this whole story is good. Like, it's it's I'm not a fairy tale guy, but like. It was easy to read, and I found myself enjoying the story. But the whole Valley of Despair thing I thought was just brilliant. That's kind of a tangent from what I was talking about. But anyway, um, the king side of things is pretty black and white. He's just a straight-up evil dude who's ruling with an iron paw, I guess. And um, I believe that's actually yeah. in the book. <laughs> um, and so it's really, yeah, it's our scrappy band of re- rebels um, that that are the they really shine. Yeah, I, I mean, anthropomorphic animals. I mean, what else can you say about that? Right? I mean, it's yeah. um, the 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 brilliance for me. Rob is right. The Valley of Despair is wonderful, um, but it's so much <clears throat> how loosely how do I say this? The story is a story, 
but it's really loosely put together. Like there are references to things. So they, they live in their own land. There are no humans anywhere, but there are like references to things that pets would understand, like nods and winks to actual pets that are kept as pet. You know what I mean? Yeah. Does that, which is, I thought hilarious. I mean, what, S.G. Brown comes through in this book in his sense of humor that's present in everything else we've read from him or nearly almost everything else we had from him. One of those short stories where it was really dark and had no humor in it. The the I don't want to say Godzilla one because it wasn't right. about Godzilla. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. yeah, you know what I mean? Yep. But basically everything is kind of satirical, humorous. Um, and, and although all of those are a lot darker than this, this. How do I say this? This is not my thing. That being said. Every two pages or so, I found myself with a stupid grin on my face because it was so goddamn cute and or funny that it was still really enjoyable. Yeah, and the way that I think of it is, like, if anybody just handed me their, you know, their uncle wrote a fairy tale or their aunt or their, you know, whatever, their grandmother wrote a fairy tale and they wanted someone to read it. Or, like, even, like, the best fairy tale writer, the you know, that exists wrote a fairy tale and they wanted me to read it. I'd be like, this is just going to be dumb because I don't care. But um, he made it entertaining enough where, like, even though I knew I was reading a, a fairy tale about cats and dogs, I was like, all right, I re- I'm enjoying the story. This is cool. Um, which I was not expecting. But there you have it. Um, so I, I guess, yeah, the, the S.G. Brown, um, this way he writes um, came through in a way where I was able to enjoy it. A book that the odds were stacked against it because it's definitely not like like Livia said, it's not in my wheelhouse either. I don't know if there's anything else we're going to talk about that we're not just going to talk to Scott about, right? Are we pretty much ready to to give this a wrap up or anything well, else you want to cover? I was thinking I might want to make one kind of. I want to ask you something before we get into talking to Scott. Um, did you think uh, there was any kind of allegory going on or any kind of parallels between real life, you know, and and the fairy tale that? Seem kind of obvious. No. no, 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 no. Like Trump. I mean, <laughs> you know, I, I, I see what you're saying. And, and now would be the time, right, that somebody would do that. But when I think about it, you know, you, you went to Robin Hood. Yeah, you, know, you mentioned mm-hmm. Robin Hood earlier, and that also has the tur- the tyrannical leader. And if you, I mean, any of these kind of classic fabled sword wielding stories all have like the evil king mm-hmm. so i don't know necessarily that that i thought that was all right well I, yeah and i don't i don't i don't want to spoil the reason that i think that so maybe i'll tell you afterwards but um uh it has to do with the valley of despair <laughs> but um interesting uh we'll talk about that off offline so um yeah mm-hmm. i guess like i think because of the the size of the story we just have to wrap it up you want to give it a shot first yeah not a lot to say here i went in um i don't want to say i went in with low expectations because i expect a lot out of out of scott brown having been a fan of of everything he's written um but this was this is a little outside my my comfort zone <laughs> i guess is the, the the way i'd put it um that being said you know the story is a, is a solid story it's lighthearted. it's not super complex i don't think that's what he was going for um, although I'm not a pet person, I am familiar with pets and I've got to tell you, although maybe I missed some references to, you know, a, a personality trait of a certain kind of dog or whatever, it was a lot of fun. It, it was more fun than I expected it to be. 
Um, and, and like I said, I couldn't flip, you know, more than two pages without having some silly grin on my face. It got me to chuckle out loud a couple of times, which, again, is not uh, something that happens all, all that frequently while I'm reading. So um, that being said, I, I thought it was great. I, I honestly I, uh, I was thinking about this. There's a there's an almost nine year old that I'd love to read this to, but I'm not sure with all the dialogue that I could pull it off in a way that it's something that would be read out loud, if that makes sense. So um but but I liked it enough that I, I'd like to share it with a youngster in my life. So I, I'm not sure if that's going to happen or not logistically. But uh, yeah, it's, it's like every other S.G. Brown I've ever read. It's five stars. It's great stuff. I think I'll start off with something that Livia said earlier. And there are certain authors where if they told me, hey, I wrote an epic poem about, um, you know, tax law. Because it was that author, I'd give it a shot. So uh, what I'm saying is certain people, their writing is just so strong that even if it's something that, you know, you're not super into, um, their, their writing will compel you to check it out. That was, that was the case with this. Um, I'm just enthusiastic to read anything that, that Mr. Brown writes. And I'm glad that I did because the story was always entertaining. And, um, even though I haven't had pets in a while, my thought consistently throughout reading this was, man, any pet lover, regardless of whether they have kids, they don't, whatever age they are, like if someone, you know, grew up with pets or is like a very, you know, avid cat or dog lover or something as an adult, they're really going to enjoy this story. So don't think that it's necessarily something that's reserved for any specific age. Like if you are... um a pet person and you uh, want to check out a fairy tale, this is going to be like a damn good book for you. There was actually someone that I'm working with who um, we were, we had a big pet conversation, um, you know, about a week before we decided to do this. And so once we started reading it, I stopped, I, I stopped her and I said, Hey, I'm reading a, a, a fairy tale about cats and dogs. And she's like, Oh, that sounds like something I'd be very much into. So, um, I'm actually going to probably be recommending this book very, you know, a lot because um, I think it really fits that, that demographic. And um, I don't know if anybody's really thought to go for that specific demographic, but like there's so many cat people and dog people. If you have an Instagram page, I mean, that's probably 80% of the pictures you see. So uh, I don't know. Mr. Scott Brown might be onto something. He might be uh, capturing a market that no one really knew existed. Um, but back to the story. Very entertaining throughout. Um, uh, very fun, tongue-in-cheek little jokes, like Livius mentioned, and um, quick and easy read. It's fun, and um, yeah, I think it's gonna be five stars. Well, let's bring on the author himself to talk a little bit about the book. So, Scott, thanks again for coming back uh, and joining us on Booked. It's always a great, uh, great time when we have you on. Well, I appreciate you guys having me on. I always have a good time talking to you. So, thank you for. Inviting me back on to book. All right, let's get down to business. How on earth did you come to the decision to write The Maiden Poodle? <laughs> uh, well, actually, um, I wrote it I wrote it about 15 years ago. Um, the, I came to the decision to write it. Uh, I actually was making the story up at the time. At the time, I was married, and I had we had five cats and a standard poodle. I think I had five cats at that time. Um, and so I started making up the story that incorporated all of our animals in it. And initially it was just 
kind of a one chapter thing and it just kept going and I started writing it down and going back and creating this longer version and this was back in about 2002 so uh, the options for self-publishing back then were a lot different than they are now. So this um, precedes breathers then as, as a work, right? Or um, my math I problem? think, well, yeah, no, you're right. You're right. It, 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 it might've preceded breathers. Um, it didn't precede the idea, the short story that breathers came from, but I started writing it in this in about 2002, I believe, uh, 2002. So they were fairly close uh, to to their their genesis started at about the same time, uh, but yeah, yeah, somewhere around there. I just had this like alternate universe view where if things had gone differently, we would have been reading anthropomorphic animals from you for a number of years now, and we'd be talking <laughs> to you about. Tell us about this this zombie book that you wrote. <laughs> like, you know, that's true. Yeah, we could we could have had completely different. Like, what were you thinking writing a zombie book? <laughs> You're supposed to be writing these these nice cute tales about cats and dogs living together in ancient kingdoms. So so how did you come to the decision then to publish it now, 15 years after you wrote it? I've actually been, I think for the last five years, I've been looking to, to publish it. And I was actually, um, I talked to my agent probably about five years ago about the options for it. And, you know, back then, what was it, 2012, uh, you know, I was still in terms of my, my other books, things were sort of like right in the middle of everything. And I thought it might be fun to try to see if we can get this published, but the length of it at about 20,000 words, um, it didn't really fit into a nice little market. <laughs> and I was already having a difficult enough time with my dark comedy and social satire fitting into a nice little market. Um, but we, we, looked at a couple of different options for it and none of them ended up working out. One of them was going to be actually publishing through my agency. Uh, but then my, my agent left that agency and went to another one and, and she ended up saying that your best bet is probably to self publish. So last, last summer when I self published my three short stories was sort of a, a trial run for me to get my feet wet, um, dipping my toes in the self-publishing pool just so that I knew what it was all about. So if I wanted to do something that was a little bit bigger, um, at least I'd have more of an idea of what I was doing. And it was, I, I just have, I had several things that I've written that I'd like to, to get published and it just seemed like the right time to do it was now. Um, and just to, to see what, how people responded to it, see if I could find, uh, another market that might be interested in in you know reading something I've written uh, a little bit more kid friendly though I do I do I do tend to think it's it's for the uh, the animal loving kid and in all of us so we'll see how that goes I have like 19 follow ups to that because like you said a bunch of things I was thinking um, the first thing uh, it's it's I. I don't believe I knew or remembered that the story was written so long ago and and knowing you coming from a dark comedy social satire kind of background I was trying to see like is there some sort of allegory type situation between this story and what's going on in like the present you know political climate and everything and I was trying to draw some uh, parallels and and I guess I was totally wrong about that huh well no, it, it's funny because I was just reading the opening chapter 
for, and I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to upload it, but it's over 300 megabytes, so it's taking a while to upload on Facebook. Um, but So hopefully it'll be there by tomorrow morning. Um, and I was reading the first chapter. I'm like, you know, if people thought that I wrote this now, they would have thought that I've written it at possibly <laughs> as an allegory for what's going on because I talk about the evil King Griffin coming to power and dividing the land between the rich and the poor. I think, well, I'm sure that some people could make that connection, though so it definitely wasn't there when I wrote it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. Yeah, I, I even brought it up in the review that we did before we started talking to you, and Livius was like, oh, I didn't see that. And I was like, yeah, I see it. So and it's kind of funny. <laughs> but that's okay. I, I remember, you know, just on the sidetrack, there were, I think I might have told you guys this on a previous thing, is that somebody had read breathers and thought it was an allegory for the Holocaust. And they went through and said, you know, what the zombies represented and what the people represented. And, you know, they had all the representing the Jews and the Nazis and the secret, you know, the SS troops and everything. I thought, okay, <laughs> if that's, if that's what you see in that. So, you know, some people read things into things that aren't there, but if it works for them, that's, that's their worldview and that's okay. But, um, but there are, I mean, I do, the book, the the story is about, you know, different types of animals and different breeds of animals and, you know, not just within dogs, but different dogs and cats working together to a common goal. So it, to me, it would be very easy for somebody to look at this and say, hmm, maybe there is something going on there that speaks to, you know, the present. But to me, it's it's kind of a – that's nothing different than anybody who's ever written about. Um, I mean, you can look at, you can look at Sensate, uh, which obviously is much more for the times, but Sensate was about people – different people working together to try to solve problems and, and cooperation. So, you know, it's not a, it's not a, a brand new uh, concept, but, uh, but it was fun to write. Yeah, I like that first season of Sense8. I haven't watched the second season, but I was a little disappointed to know that it was canceled. Yeah, yeah, it was a good show. Um, but the uh, the second season, it was also weird because they brought in a new guy, and I, I can't remember the names of the characters in it. Uh, he was the guy that lived in Kenya. Was it Kenya or Nigeria? I can't remember where he lived. I know those are, those are two completely different places, <laughs> but uh, they brought in a new actor, and, and uh, it was it was very a very different type of of energy. So anyway, that's our that's our sensate tangent. <laughs> All right, so there are two types of people clearly in the world. There are the people like you that talk about how this story is about you know people working together for a common goal, and there's people like me that are going to ask this question, and this is going to put you on the spot. In the inevitable war between cats and dogs, which side will you land on? <laughs> uh, I will land on the side of cats, um, but that's 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 not. I don't say that uh, just blithely and without any regard for dogs, because uh, I, I was made into a dog person uh, back in 1992 when I met. The standard poodle who would become the uh, the the model for uh, the maiden poodle, so she just didn't have any magical powers that I was aware of. Um, but I became uh, much more of a dog person back then than I had been, and appreciated what dogs bring to the table. I mean, 
a wagging tail, a purring, you know, a wagging tail and a dog, a purring cat. Uh, they're both sounds for the soul. But I've been a cat person all my life, so I would probably land on the side of the cats. I think it's only fair that we turn that question to both of us. So this is going to be tricky for <laughs> Livius, though, because of of the allergies that, allergies that were mentioned earlier in the episode. But if you had to choose a side, Livius, where are you going? Um, I uh, Okay, so <laughs> oddly enough, poodles are one of the few dogs I'm not allergic to. Um, and, and at one point, I actually owned a, a miniature and a, and a teacup poodle. Um, I, I would definitely the the side of dogs. Although I will say this: if I wasn't like deathly allergic to cats, I'm sure I would have one because I, I admire their, uh, their their lack of regard for everything else around them. Cats are so independent. <laughs> I, I love that about them. But yeah, I, I my only exposure to pets has been dogs, so I'm going to fall into the dog oh, of these two choices anyway. I'm going to fall into the dog category. Because there's no lizard category. <laughs> there's no lizard category. I'd probably go lizard. I don't know. Between lizards, I'd probably still go dogs. What about you, Rob? Uh, I'm definitely going to be a dog guy. Um, I've only ever had dogs as pets. Um, I haven't had any pets recently. Um, I will say that there was a line in the book um, that spoke to me about how how messed up it is to hear or, uh, a, a Doberman whimpering. And... Um, I had two Dobermans growing up, so I was like, "Yeah, I, I yeah, I'll agree with that." It kind of spoke with me, so it is sad to hear a Doberman cry. Yeah, so sorry, man. We're going to be standing across from each other in this battle between da- cats and dogs. That's okay. That's okay. But I'll still respect you. If if you know what though, if it follows the storyline of your book, the cats and dogs will be living together. Yes, they will. Maybe question mark. Oh, that might be a spoiler. <laughs> I do want to say this isn't even a question so much as as uh, a commentary. One of the things that I loved was even though they lived in their own land and there was no mention of human of human interaction for them, they all still behaved much like pets. Like there's the talk about like chasing the garbage collector or um the the one part where someone says they're taking them for a walk and all their their yeah. tails <laughs> wag, which you know, if they lived in a world with no humans, really there were no walks to go on. But uh, I, I thought it was, how do I say this? It was like that kind of tongue in cheek, like almost thumbing your nose at the actual story by incorporating human elements into a story where there were no humans. If that makes sense? <laughs> yeah, it does. I I don't know. If, well, I I wouldn't say I, I necessarily did it. Uh, as, as a thumbing my nose at it, but it was just fun to. I think the thing with this is because it was a fairy tale and it was this this world I created. I mean, it pretty much when an author creates something, he gets to do whatever he wants in there. But you're constrained still by some sort of reality that you've created, and 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 have to make sure that it all makes sense. And this one, I just I played with things a lot more and just kind of screwed around with things and, and had a lot of fun doing it. Um, even if it might be, what's the anachronistic, I guess, uh, to an extent, because this is, you know, the land of Polynia, but yet you have, you know, this ancient kingdom, yet you have the Greyhound uh, having come from a land where he was forced to chase, you know, a mechanical rabbit around the track, which obviously is now. And so, there's an anachronism going on there for when it would have taken place, but it was just fun to play around with that. 
It's funny because I was I took it as like like especially the walk part, which was probably one of the more shining moments in the book as far as like individual funny moments. Um, in my mind, it was just like, oh, even in this other world, dogs are excited to go on walks. <laughs> but <laughs> uh, so uh, talking about because this because we're talking about cats and dogs and stuff. Um, so we learned about where you're gonna where you're gonna land in the war between cats and dogs. But um, what kind of is that? What we have right in your house right now? Just cats, or are we hosting any dogs up at all? I have I have two cats, and uh, I would like to have a dog, but the problem is is and it was this way even when I was riding full time. Um, I considered getting a dog when I was riding full time, but I was traveling enough going to. Um, you know, book signings or, you know, just I I did more traveling than I would normally would. And I didn't think it was fair to to have a dog if I was going to be traveling that much um, for the amount I was traveling. And then when I was working a day job, you know, I don't I don't want to get somebody to come in and walk my dog all the time. I want to be around to spend time with the dog. My cats, you know, the, yeah, the cats can be a little bit more independent. They still get lonely. I know if you're not a cat person, it might not seem that that's possible, but my cats greet me at the door. You know, they come running to the door. Um, you know, they they ask me to play because they like to engage and play. And so i I don't like I don't like having to take off and 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 leave them and have someone come in and take care of them. But with a dog, um, dogs just need so much more time and attention and they can get the separation anxiety and I just didn't think it was fair for me to have a dog for them yeah that's fair yeah they, yeah I was gonna say that's I didn't realize that about cats because every cat I've ever and, and you have to understand my exposure to cats has been like 20 minutes at a time until I can't breathe so, but they always are kind of like just doing their own thing. They like come take a look, move on. You know, they're, they're not as concerned with dogs where, you know, every time I've ever had a dog, someone walks in the house and dogs throwing itself on its back, begging to be petted and wanting to play all the time. Yeah. Cats, cats can be standoffish. I mean, I've had, I have one of my two cats that I have wants to jump up on the couch whenever anybody comes in and, and say hi. The other cat is a little bit more standoffish. She sits there and stares at them with a spooky expression as though she's judging them and is disappointed in them in some way, shape, or form, which is what a lot of cats do. I feel like my cat is constantly disappointed in me as a human being. Um, and I actually remember reading one time that cats actually think humans are just giant, strange-looking cats. <laughs> is that real? Um, I've read that too. Yeah, I read that. And so, you know, and I I play with my cat, you know, and I'll, you know, she likes to headbutt me. So, you know, get down on my hands and knees and headbutt her as she walks past. And it's a sign of affection. So, um, you know, I I think for a lot of people, if, if, if you want to treat a cat like it's just this independent creature that doesn't need attention, it'll be an independent creature that doesn't need attention. But if you engage in the cat, or at least most cats that I've found, um, you can create a nice little bond with them. Plus, if they're just indoor cats, if they're indoor-outdoor cats, you know, it's it's a little harder possibly to create that bond. Um, plus, the cat's more likely to die if it's an indoor-outdoor cat. Um, but uh, with just indoor cats, you know, you, you, can, you can create a nice little, you know, chemistry with, with the animals if that's what you want to do. 
Yeah, I'll testify to that. Um, long time ago, I dated someone who had this just asshole cat. Um, <laughs> but it was like a younger asshole cat. And um, everybody just, you know, wrote the cat off as just, you know, just being aggressive and angry and weird. And um, over time, I won that little guy over and turned him into just this little, like, lovable, adorable thing. So um, I, I, I think there is kind of some weight to what you're saying. Like, you kind of get what you give in a way. Yeah. Yeah, and cats. Yeah, I don't know about dogs because I've only I've never had multiple dogs, but it seems like dogs usually tend to get along. Some cats don't like other cats. They don't want another cat in their house. They're just a single cat. Or a cat gets bullied by another cat, and so then it goes to live someplace else on its own, and it's much happier because it doesn't have this cat beating the crap out of it all the time. So, you know, again, I don't know about the dynamics with dogs having only had a single dog at a time. I do have a friend that has has had as many as three dogs, and they all seem to get along just fine. It didn't seem like any of them had any sort of neuroses because <laughs> one of the other dogs was beating it up all the time. Um, but, uh, but they seem to get along okay. This next question I, I kind of toyed with asking and not asking, I guess because it, the dynamic of the question changes now that I know that you wrote this so long ago um, because you had said that you had based um, – Maybe not all, but most of the animals on animals that, that you owned or had some reason to know. Um, was it emotional for you at all? I mean, I'm guessing you probably worked on it and touched it up recently. So revisiting some of this, and, and I'm, I'm not trying to be funny. I was thinking about, like, if you wrote it now, you know, what your emotions would be like recalling, like, this, you know, great dog that you owned or, or this, this you know, cat that you... Well, you love all your cats. There was like that one cat that was really great. You know, was there, did a lot of emotion go into, into this either a, when you were writing it or, or B, I guess when you were probably revisiting it more recently. Well, I think it would be more of the latter because when I, when I wrote it, um, well, except for Lilith, because, uh, the passing of the queen Lilith, the just, she had actually, um, had, had died seven years or so before I wrote the book. So that's how I incorporated it in here. In a way, it was kind of a bit of, of an homage to her. <laughs> um, and then I just sort of took our existing animals and a couple of neighborhood animals and, you know, a friend's dog who is a toy maker. His name is Popo Santiago, and that was his name. His name is Popo, and his full name was Popo Santiago. He's a black lab. And uh, so at the time, they were just all they were all there. Um, but going back and reading through it, um, it was actually, it wasn't emotional in any bad way. It was kind of fun to read through it and to think of uh, all the cats and the animals that, that I had known. And obviously, you know, King Griffin, my cat Griffin, <laughs> was was not an asshole at all. <laughs> he was the sweetest cat. He was not an evil King Griffin at all. So, you know, he just had to fill that role. So he had to play act. Um but uh but it was it was fun to go back and read through it and see some of the 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 characters that were in there that I created out of the, the animals that we had. Um, and I actually ended up throwing in, I think the one, the one about the dog that was in the dungeon because of chasing after the trash collector that was actually thrown in later. Uh, a friend of mine who's, um, 
uh, Sheltie, I actually help take care of. Um, she chases after wheels and garbage cans, and she kind of goes nuts. So I just it was just kind of fun to to add her into the mix. That's awesome. Um, so last time we talked, it was right as you were putting out your um, series of three singles, and um, we had a good conversation about that. So um, what's the experience been like? Uh, and, and, and actually now this is a you know more interesting for us to hear because we know that it was your kind of way of figuring out how that is for you know subsequent publications and stuff. So what's that experience been like since we last talked? Um, well, you know, you know, in terms in terms of getting any royalties, you know, I, 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 it doesn't generate a whole lot of money, but they're they're ninety nine cent books, um, and you know, it's 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 a tough market to crack, but it was still a very good experience for me because it's you know it's it's like trying something for the first time that you're you're you're, you're not sure you have the confidence to do, <clears throat> and then you you go and do it, and you're like, oh, okay, this wasn't as hard as I thought. But uh, going around to do this one, when you have chapters, the formatting is, is significantly different because you need to make sure that you link all of the – you have to actually put the chapters in. In terms of an ebook, you have to have chapters in there as a, a table of contents. So you have to have an active table of contents leading to each of the chapters so people can click on it and get to that, that page. And that's something that I didn't have to do with the shorts. So – uh, it was a little bit different. Um, I also added drop caps, and everybody, everything I read said that drop caps don't work well in Kindle, but even though it didn't on my conversion software with Calibre, it, when I actually uploaded it on Kindle and viewed it on four different devices through their previewer, it all looked fine. So fingers crossed. <laughs> fingers crossed that the drop cap will look okay. So, um, And then I also decided to to add a trade paperback version and and hopefully that will be okay too what was the reception like did, did your fans respond in in the way that you thought they would i guess is well versus your expectation for for the shorts i was hoping for a little bit more um i didn't i don't i i was hoping that it would generate a little bit more enthusiasm than it did it did it initially but then it kind of dropped off so you know, I, I didn't end up getting as much as much response or reception uh, in the long run as as I had hoped for. But again, it's they're short stories, and I think it's it's a a little bit more of a difficult, I guess, niche to to crack into as opposed to you know novellas or novels or something of a longer length. But uh, you know, and so I, it kind of tempers my expectations for this. Plus, this is a completely different animal, so to speak. Haha. <laughs> but um, we'll uh, we'll see what happens. It, for me, doing this was something I've been wanting to do for a long time. Like I said, back in 2002, if you wanted to self-publish, you spent ten thousand dollars and you had a bunch of boxes of books that sat in your garage as you tried to figure out how to sell them. You know that that was that was your option back then, and then I got into running dark comedy social satire, and it didn't seem to make sense to publish it. Um, and then I just felt like revisiting it, and so for me, it's it's nice to sort of put it out there and let other people read it and enjoy it. Uh, it was something that was very personal. Out of everything that I've written, 
it's probably the most personal because <laughs> it has a bunch of animals that have been in my life at one point or another in it. So, um, so it's, to me, it's just kind of fun to do that. You know, obviously I'd like the book to, to sell well and generate some passive income for me on a, on a monthly basis, but you know, I, I'm, that's not the main reason that I'm self-publishing it. So we always ask this question uh, when we're about to wrap up an interview and um, it, it, the timing is always weird because we're always talking about someone's book that's just coming out. So, so I feel like authors are always like, why are you asking me this? I, this is the thing. But um, so what's, what, <laughs> uh, is there anything that we can look forward to beyond the maiden poodle or is that still kind of a question mark right now? Um, I'm actually writing, uh, uh, I have an idea for a four book series for it. Um, part of that I think depends on the main poodle cause you know, I, I did pay for artwork, et cetera. I mean, if I can't, if I can't make money back <laughs> on something, at least to make it somewhat viable. Um, it, it, I think it'll question how much, how much money I want to lose in terms of, of self publishing things, but I'd like to write all four. Uh, and so I've, I've written most of the second one, and it's a uh, it's a sequel, but it doesn't take place uh, on Polynia. It actually follows something that happens near the end, not directly at the end, um, and uh, takes place on uh, another island called the Land Without Name, and that's the name of just the novella that I'm writing. Uh, but it does have it does have, you know, it's tangential in a way, but it also connects because there's there's still the supernatural, there's still the darkness that's involved in there because that's the whole point of the supernatural aspect of the Maiden Poodle is the darkness trying to take over, you know, the, the world and, and the Poodles are the guardians of the lights and what happens if the darkness gets in. So this, this actually uh, is a lot more of, of the darkness and how it impacts the other... Uh, characters in the book, but you won't see any of the same characters from the Maiden Poodle in this one, uh, though you would see them again in the third book and the fourth book. So if it gets that far, but I'd like to, you know, it's fun to write. I don't really feel like I have to to impress anybody but myself, <laughs> uh, which is always good. And uh, and again, I'm I'm throwing in animals that I've. I've met over the last few years, or maybe animals I had when I was younger. And so it's kind of a fun way to sort of, you know, honor them and, and immortalize them in in a way that I, I couldn't otherwise. So there was one thing, um, I think it was toward the end of this, and I, it was it was obviously in this, but I, I don't remember exactly where it was, where there was reference to... Um, uh, it, something in this story influencing a different fairy tale. Um, was that like a cheeky reference to something that you're actually working on, or was that just a a way of of stating the the you know the impact or the the size of the thing you were talking about? Yeah, that was just an exaggerated way. I think it was uh, Stoker. Stoker felt a relief upon. I can't remember what he saw upon seeing something. Uh, Stoker felt a relief so great that uh, it was felt in other by characters yeah. in another fairy tale. Yeah. It was just kind of a kind of a fun. It was it, it's just it's what happened, and and I thought, oh, this 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 is what I'm going to write, and so you know, who knows? Maybe I'll end up 
I'll, you know, it's there. It's cheap. It's planted. Maybe it'll end up coming up somewhere. Yeah. Well, road. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. It was such a good line that it made me pause and think. Um, I didn't obviously try to figure out what fairy tale because that would be insanity. But I was like, oh, huh, maybe there's something to this. But um, like you said, <laughs> you open the door so that it can be something retroactively or whatever in the future. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you never know. <laughs> Scott, thanks for coming on to talk to us. It's been a pleasure as always. Well, thank you, and uh, and thanks for for giving it a read. Like I said, you know, you you brought it up. It's it's not exactly what you're used to reading from me, <laughs> so I appreciate that you uh, that you gave it a read and and uh, and put it on your show. All right, once again, always a pleasure to have S.G. Brown join us. Um, and I'm you know what uh, I don't think anybody else could have had us talking about cats and dogs uh, in such a loving way. I, yeah, I mean, I guess we could do it, but I like <laughs> I was actually kind of enthusiastic about it. It was fun. Yeah. I was getting into like, uh, yeah, let's talk it. about cats and dogs. Let's do this. <laughs> yeah, and you know, a couple of things that we should mention. Um, Scott was gracious enough to hang through all kinds of technical issues, which we're blaming on Skype. Um, the quality was a little different than what you're used to because we uh, we did a traditional phone call. We haven't done that in a couple of years, but it worked out really well. Um, and. Uh, he did this on the eve of the release of the Maiden Poodle. So by the time you're hearing this, the Maiden Poodle will already be available for you to purchase on Amazon. And then, you know, as always, leave a review. All right. So next episode, I believe, Livius can confirm this, we're doing an interlude, which means I don't have Probably. to do anything. I was thinking you would be far more enthusiastic in talking about the <laughs> fact that this is the last book. We're reviewing for what two months, right? You, yeah, you, you would think so, but I know something's going to come up. Where we're like, gotta read this, we gotta do it, <laughs> and then all of a sudden, like six books drop at the same time, and we had two weeks off. Yeah, we're uh, we're entering, we are in officially now in the lazy summer of podcasting. So uh, interludes, interviews. I, I get the feeling that Rob's going to come up because we enjoyed so much our time travel episode that we're going to come up. I don't want to say it's something oh, similar, yeah. but something completely off the topic of books and TV shows and the, the crap that we normally do. Um, but the view, the view goes on. So you can still catch us over at the view talking about the season of Twin Peaks. Um, but yeah, story wise, we're, uh, we're we're done for a little bit. That's right. Um, if you are a Patreon contributor. Um, you might have a special treat coming up in the near future. I'm not going to say what that is, but it may be holiday themed. Um, if you're not, hey, head on over to Patreon and start contributing even at a dollar, and you'll get access to our special Fourth of July Patreon only ho- holiday extravaganza episode. You did a terrible job of not saying what that was. You were like, I'm not going to say what <laughs> no, it is I didn't in tell, this paragraph. <laughs> I didn't tell the Patreon contributors. I only told the people who aren't contributing to Patreon. That, yeah. That, yes, that makes yeah. perfect sense. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, if you're a Patreon contributor, it's just a matter of days before you can head over there and hear our 4th of July uh, holiday special. Yeah, um, You can catch us over at The View. You can catch us on our Instagram page. Um, lots of places to, to keep up with Booked. <laughs> All right. That's going to do it for this episode. Until next time, I'm Rob Olson. And I'm Livia Snedden. Keep reading.